ಸರಸ್ವತಿಯಾಸೋಜಾಯ We're reading from the Srimad Bhagavatam Canto 1 Chapter 17 Punishment and Reward of Kali And now um we're at text number 18 Navayam klesha bijani yatasu purusharshabha purusham tam bijanimo vakya bheda mimohitah navayam not we klesha bijani the root cause of sufferings yataha where from su it so happens purusharshaba O greatest of all human beings purusham the person tam that bijanima no vakya beda difference of opinion vakya beda vimohita bewildered by navayam klesha bijani yatasu purusharshaba purusham tam bijanimo vakya beda vimohita o greatest among human beings it is very difficult to ascertain the particular miscreant who has caused our sufferings because we are bewildered by all the different opinions of theoretical philosophers dharma is speaking in fact i'm going to go back one verse to 17 This is a dharma the bull speaking to Parikshit Maharaj and he says the personality of religion says that's dharma those words just spoken by you befit a person of the pandava dynasty captivated by the devotional qualities of the pandavas even lord krishna the personality of godhead performed duties as a messenger purport the assurances and challenges made by maharaj prikshit are never exaggerations of his real power the maharaj said that even the denizens of heaven could not escape his stringent government if they were violators of religious principles he was not falsely proud for a devotee of the lord is equally as powerful as the lord or sometimes more powerful by his grace and any promise made by a devotee though it may be ordinarily very difficult to fulfill is properly executed by the grace of the lord the pandavas by their unalloyed devotional service and full surrender unto the lord made it possible for the lord to become a chariot driver and sometimes their letter messenger such duties executed by the lord for his devotee are always very pleasing to the lord because the lord wants to render service to his unalloyed devotee whose life has no other engagement than to serve the lord with full love and devotion 
Maharaj Prikshit, grandson of Arjuna, the celebrated friendly servitor of the Lord, was a pure devotee of the Lord like his grandfather. And therefore the Lord was always with him, even from the time when he was helplessly lying in the womb of his mother and was attacked by the blazing Brahmastra, weapon of Ashwatthama. A devotee is always under the protection of the Lord, and therefore the assurance of protection by Maharaj Prikshit could never be without meaning. The personality of religion accepted this fact and thus thanked the king for his being true to his exalted position. And then the verse I read just a minute ago, again, the translation, O greatest among human beings, it is very difficult to ascertain the particular miscreant who has caused our sufferings because we are bewildered by all the different opinions of theoretical philosophers. So this is in answer to Parikshit Maharaj uh, challenging whoever had uh, caused injury to Dharma the bull and uh, is asking, who did this to you? So he's saying here that's Vakya Beda. There's so many different opinions of Vimohita. So I'm bewildered by these things. Purport. There are many theoretical philosophers in the world who put forward their own theories of cause and effect, especially about the cause of suffering and its effect on different living beings. Generally, there are six great philosophers, Kanada, the author of Vaisheshik philosophy, Gautama, the author of logic, Patanjali, the author of mystic yoga, Kapila, the author of Sankhya philosophy, Jaimini, the author of Karma Mimangsa, and Vyasadeva, the author of Vedanta Darshan. Although the bull, or the personality of religion, and the cow, the personality of the earth, knew perfectly well that the personality of Kali was the direct cause of their sufferings, still, as devotees of the Lord, they <clears throat> knew well also that without the sanction of the Lord, no one could inflict trouble upon them. According to the Padma Purana, our present trouble is due to the fructifying of a seedling sins. But even those seedling sins also gradually fade away by execution of devotional service. Thus, even if the devotees see the mischief mongers, they do not accuse them for the sufferings inflicted. They take it for granted that the mischief monger is made to act by some indirect cause, and therefore they tolerate the sufferings, thinking them to be God-given in small doses, for otherwise the sufferings should have been greater. Maharaj Prikshit wanted to get a statement of accusation against the direct mischief monger, but they declined to give it, on the above-mentioned grounds. Speculative philosophers, however, do not recognize the sanction of the Lord. They try to find out the cause of sufferings in their own way, as will be described in the following verses. According to Srila Jiva Goswami, such speculators are themselves bewildered, and thus they cannot know the ultimate cause of all causes is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Navayam Kleshabijani Yatasu Purusharshaba Purushantam Vijani Mo Vakya Beda Vimohita. O greatest among human beings, 
it is very difficult to ascertain the particular miscreant who has caused our sufferings because we are bewildered by all the different opinions of theoretical philosophers. So here, Prabhupada points out that uh, there are many philosophies in the world, and this is true after any kind of event we've seen, uh, at least in my lifetime, when there's some stress to the world, many people come out with their ideas about why such things are happening. I remember that um, during uh, earthquakes, uh, 9-11 and so forth, religious leaders and so forth were asked the question, why is there so much suffering in the world and how is God involved and so forth. And oftentimes people become atheistic and they say there, there is no God or they have no idea if there's God or not because of so many conflicting philosophies. In the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, Vita Raga Bhaya Kroda Manmaya Mamupashrita Bahavo Jnana Tapaso that um, he says that Putamad uh, Bhava Magata that there are many people who have become purified by the process of devotional service by connecting to Krishna's instructions. And what do they become purified of? Vita, Raga, Bhaya, Kroda. The three things Krishna says we should become freed from, which are Raga, attachment, which is irrational to the material nature because we have nothing to do with material nature. We're actually spiritual souls. Krishna points this out saying in the second chapter of the Gita, nasato vidite bhavo na bhavo vidite sita that the seers, tatvadarshidivi, of the truth, that which has actual substance, tat, that which actually exists, know that there's a difference between that which exists, the category of truth, and those things which are ephemeral. They're considered to be... Um, illusory, especially when they're not seen in relationship to the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And because there are various energies in the Lord's creation, we being of the marginal potency, and we also being uh, capable of living in the atmosphere of the material world or in the spiritual world, have to know these categories of energy in order to navigate them so that we don't become uh, covered by the lower energies of the Lord. So those who are fortunate enough to come in contact with devotees and the philosophy of devotional service can uh, elevate themselves in knowledge so that they become freed from the tendencies to try to unnaturally live in the material world and invest all their energy in it and think, this is me. So raga has to be given up, this unnecessary attachment. Bhaya means fear of a personal existence. There's a way in which people become overwhelmed by the sense of suffering in the material world, and then they think about suicide, either giving up their present material body and mind, which causes them trouble at every minute, from adi klesha, adi daivik, adi bhotik miseries, or um, they think of a, adopting a philosophy through which they can ignore 
their personal existence, and they subscribe to an idea that uh, one, one gives up the connection to desire and uh, realizes that, or, or is able to step back from the workings of the mind, one will come to a point where one can extinguish one's very existence. In other words, there's a, a light switch that goes off or a candle flame that goes out, nirvana, in which one re realizes, or not just, there's no one to realize, it just happens that there's nothing. These are nihilistic philosophies. And there's uh, also, uh, so th these are all considered the kinds of suicide uh, called atmaha, those who are not getting isha kata, understanding our, the one's relationship with Ishvara, and that uh, we are also Purusha, which means we're, we have our individual eternal personalities. Although right now I may be merged in matter, it doesn't mean that um, spiritual life means the opposite of variety and that I become a non-entity. So if one doesn't get this philosophy and starts thinking in terms of uh, suicide by killing the self, atmaha, or by not taking advantage of spirit, real spiritual knowledge, one becomes atmaha and enters into the darker regions of the universe. So one has to give that up, Krishna says. And you can do that. How can you do that? Read Sri Shapanishad. Any person on earth who takes the time, and it doesn't take much time, if you're riding the bus back and forth to work, and you read the Sri Shapanishad over a week or two weeks, your life will be changed. You'll have proper knowledge and orientation from one simple book. Only problem is people don't watch it or don't listen to it. They, they're listening to all kinds of other things. They're reading all types of other things, but they're not getting real knowledge. It's all there in Sri Shapanishad. So then, uh, Krodha. Krodha means anger. That people hear this um, Vakya Beda, all kinds of different theories given by so-called experts. Uh, this is the nature of the world because people are conditioned by different modes, and then they like to give their opinion most of the opinions given are like the braying of an ass. The donkey in the field does a, a braying. <laughs> and then he's thinking, it's very beautiful. What I'm, uh, this braying sound is, it's so charming and people love it so much. But others are thinking, uh, not so much. Uh, and so similarly, these so-called experts, even they have PhDs, and they have all kinds of uh, accolades connected to their names. They're um, not connected with the Supreme Personality of God whose opinion is valuable only uh, and, uh, and above all others because he's not connected to the three modes of material nature and he's never bewildered because his body is not material. Therefore, he doesn't forget anything. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent, and therefore, he's worth taking shelter of, and his instructions are infallible. Everybody else's instructions, unless they're following his, are fallible. And they, they when they're asserted based on the idea that I know something because of my intellect, are just like the braying of an ass. So people hear all this braying, and then they feel 
that it hasn't helped me, or everyone has so many different opinions. There must be no opinion whatsoever, and therefore they become angry. And they express their anger by saying, nobody knows anything. It's all nonsense. So these three propensities, these three psychological propensities have to be given up, Krishna says. Vita raga bhaya kroda manmaya mamupashrita bahavo jnana tapasa putamad bhavamagata. Puta. When you become purified, he says many people have become purified by uh, taking the process of hearing from Krishna and to become rectified of these three psychological defects. And then they can become situated in uh, real knowledge. So the cause of suffering, let's talk about that just for a minute. In the Bhagavad Gita, uh, Krishna mentions that uh, um, this you'll find in the uh, fifth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, text number uh, 14 and 15. So in text number 14, Nakartritham Nakarmani Lokasasrijati Prabhu Nakarmapalasam Yogam Svabhavas Tu Pravartate. Krishna says the embodied spirit, master of the city of his body, does not create activities, nor does he induce people to act, nor does he create the fruits of action. All this is enacted by the modes of material nature. So the material nature is uh, going on as if uh, in a mechanical way. Krishna says, Prakriti kriyamanani gunai karmani sarvasha ahankara vimudatma kartaham iti manyate. And the bewildered soul who's connected to that mechanical material nature thinks that I'm doing things. And actually, uh, sometimes people blame God. But Krishna says, actually, I'm the indwelling spirit within the body. I'm giving instructions to the living entity, but I'm not creating the fruits of action. That's due to the interaction of the living entity with the material nature. In the text 15, he says, Nadate kashichit papam na chaiva sukritam vibhu agyanad avritam jnanam tena huyanti jantaba agyanen avritam jnanam tena huyanti jantaba. This means, uh, as Krishna says, nor does the Supreme Lord assume anyone's sinful or pious activities. Embodied beings, however, are bewildered because of the ignorance which covers their real knowledge. So the living entities somehow or other are entangled with the material nature and they're creating their own fruit of activities by being associated with the material nature and interacting with it. So now before I go to any um, further explanation, we'll just take some reflections, whatever you've heard so far or some uh, questions. Hare Krishna Guru Maharaj, this is Shamalangi. Hare Krishna Shamalangi. Uh, so, you know, like um, the verse which you read, it says, you know, like how we are bewildered by the different opinions of theoretical philosophers. So, in Chaitanya uh, Chaitamita uh, Adi uh, 2, uh, text 1, I just remember the, you know, how the author uh, Krishna Das uh, Kaviraj Goswami, he prays that I offer my obeisances to Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu by whose mercy even an ignorant child can swim across the ocean of conclusions about the ultimate truth 
which is full of the crocodiles of various theories. So I always remember that crocodiles, like the various theories are like crocodiles. Yeah, those are beautiful original verses written by Kaviraj Goswami at the beginning of every chapter. And thanks for pointing that out. He says, Sri Chaitanya Prabhum Vande Balo Pihyad Anugraha Taren Nana Matagraha Vyaptam Siddhanta Sagaram Sri Chaitanya Prabhum to Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu Vande, I offer my obeisances. Bala, an ignorant child, Api, even yet of whom Anugrahat by the mercy Tare may cross over Nana, various Mata of theories, Graha, the crocodiles, Vyapi, filled with Siddhanta of conclusions, Sagaram. Obeisances to Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, by whose mercy even an ignorant child can swim across the ocean of conclusive truth, which is full of the crocodiles of various theories. Purport, by the mercy of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, even an inexperienced boy with no educational culture can be saved from the ocean of nations, which is full of various types of philosophical doctrines that are like dangerous aquatic animals. The philosophy of the Buddha, the argumentative presentations of the jnanis, the yoga systems of Patanjali and Gotama, and the systems of philosophers like Kanada, Kapila, and Dattatreya are dangerous creatures in the ocean of nations. By the grace of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, one can have real understanding of the essence of knowledge by avoiding these sectarian views and accepting the lotus feet of Krishna as the ultimate goal of life. Let us all worship Lord Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu for his gracious mercy to the conditioned souls. Thank you, Shamalungi. What other um, questions or reflections might you have? Hare Krishna, Prabhuji. Yes. This is Sabhagya. Uh, once um, in the class, uh, in the temple, uh, when you are giving lecture, can you all hear her? You need to get a little closer to the mic, I think. Can you hear me now? Much better, yes. Thank okay. you. So when uh, Harivamsha Prabhu came to the... <laughs> I think you're not, your mic was knocked over. While she's getting that back together, does anybody else have a reflection or a question? Hare Krishna Guru Maharaj, this is Bhakta Alex from New York. Hello, Bhakta Alex from New York. Hare Krishna, good to hear your voice. Thank you. I, I apologize. That was me who interrupted the purport reading. I thought the mic was off and I had to get a little excited there. <laughs> no problem at all. Okay. Um, so I, I was reading a wonderful purport from the 10th Canto yesterday, chapter um, 14, text 26. And it reminded me of what we were speaking of about the braying of the donkey. And that uh, to the materialist, it sounds very nice, but in reality, it's it's quite contrary. So it, this, the disciples, Srila Prabhupada wrote, um, those submerged in illusion see material existence as infinite, just as one who is submerged in water sees only water all around him. For example, material scientists and philosophers submerged deep within the ocean of material illusion. Imagine that material nature extends infinitely in all directions. 
In fact, the material creation is a finite ocean of ignorance in which foolish living entities such as material scientists are unceremoniously dunked by the order of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. I was reflecting on that thinking it was um, interesting how, uh, how different the reality is from what material scientists, even supposedly learned people, um, think it is. Yes, and uh, such straightforward language is, is uh, edifying, isn't it? Yes, very uh, awakening. Yeah, it's awakening, very commonsensical according to our, our experience when we see how the world's working and we hear such things, it's very helpful in one's determination to uh, continue with the process of bhakti. Shraddha, what I'm seeing when uh, somebody's speaking is still the verse on the screen. Is that just me or is it possible for those who are speaking to um, be, uh, now I see myself, which is not a welcome sight, but like with, when Alex was speaking, I couldn't see him. Yeah, Alex, can you speak up and see if you show up? Say Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Okay. I, I'm you know what I mean? Okay. So um, another reflection or question? Avantika's ready to go. There's Alex. Okay. Avantika, go ahead. Or Vaikuntha Naika, whoever was weighing in there. <laughs> Avantika, you can go first. I'll hold my thoughts. Okay, perhaps it was a mistake. Go ahead, Avaikuntanayaka. I, I didn't see anything, sorry. Okay, that's all right. Uh, sorry, I couldn't hear her. Uh, VND, it's your turn. Okay, thank you, Maharaja. Maharaja, uh, Guru Maharaj, I was thinking that uh, there are these different theories and uh, uh, I believe uh, <coughs> Uh, the reason why these different theories are there are so that people at different levels can all uh, actually progress uh, one step closer to Krishna. That's what I heard in some lecture. I do not realize where. But um, also I feel that conversely when there are so many theories, some apparently contradictory, some directly co uh, uh, contradictory, uh, we see how Krishnaraj Kaviraj Goswami is actually praying that he does not get bewildered by the different theories. And uh, it reminds me, I think you once told us about this um, shopper's uh, dilemma of paradox of choice, where there is so much choice given that the shopper feels that, okay, I might be doing something wrong, let me not do any uh, shopping here at all, and he postpones it. So I was just thinking that though, though there are these positives and negatives, what might be the original reason why Krishna allowed for these many theories to actually propagate? Thank you, Prabhu. Well, first of all, it's not just because there's many philosophies that they're all valid and leading to the same place. And I know that's not what you're saying, but I just want to take that off the table. There is a way in which there are, Krishna mentions in, in the Bhagavatam, the 11th canto, when he's speaking to Sri Uddhava, there's the process of karma, there's the process of jnana, and there's the process of bhakti. And there he claims, yes, I've, I've created these three paths according to the propensities of living beings. And those, uh, those who are very much attached to the material world should take to jnana, to, to, should take to uh, karma. 
they're suited for that path because uh, that, that, that's where they'll feel comfortable and they'll be able to make gradual progress. Those in uh, very much detached from the material world, they don't like it at all. Uh, and they want to renounce. They should take the process of jnana. They're qualified. They have adhikari. And those who uh, are ne neither too attached to the material world nor too detached from the material world, they should take the bhakti. So as far as uh, uh, creation of choice goes, Krishna does offer various paths that are bona fide that one can make progress on gradually until they come to the perfection of life. And then Krishna gives this hierarchy in the Sri Upadeshamrita, Karmi Bhya Parito Hare Priyatiya Vyaktim Yayur Jnaninas Tebyo Jnani Vibhukta Bhakti Parama Premai Kanishta Stata Tebyasta Pashupala Pankajadrishasta Vyopi Saradika Prishtas Tadvadiyam Tadiya Sarasi Tam Nashayat Kakriti. He describes there is this uh, gradual progression. The karmis, they're dear to Krishna because they're following uh, the path. Uh, that is given in, in the Vedic literature and gradually they'll become purified by karma. And then when one becomes a successful karmi, uh, that is a karma yogi, then he comes up to the point of jnan. And Krishna says in the Gita, Bahunam jamanam ante jnanavan mam prapadyate vasudeva sarvamiti. He becomes uh, really intelligent and through the jnan process and he comes to the point of understanding that vasudeva is everything. And then... About, out of all the ganis, then there are some that realize, oh, I should devote myself to Krishna, become a devotee. And then the devotees that become perfect, they're even more dear. And then there are the ones who are spontaneously attracted to Krishna. And then there's the eternal residence of Vrindavan headed by Srimati Radharani, etc. So there's uh, this description. And um, so, uh, what the core reason that Krishna uh, allows for all kinds of bona fide and unbona fide processes to unfold is because he gives independence to the living entity. The living entities are powerful. They're part and parcel of Krishna. And they also have minute independence. And Krishna respects that because uh, we have, when we have independence, we have the opportunity to uh, use that to say, I'm going to just love Krishna and I'm going to surrender to Krishna without any uh, other uh, <clears throat> considerations. And then when one takes to that uh, process, even if one isn't completely pure, anyabhilashita shunyam jnana karmanyanavritam anukugina krishnanu shilanam bhaktir uttama. One becomes convinced that the process of devotional service is correct, he wants to surrender to Krishna, then he cultivates shield internally and externally. However, uh, Krishna allows for people to fall into whatever kind of um, philosophy or category that they desire to, to fall into. And he says, I'm the one that, that's uh, giving them the intelligence how to do it. If you want to misuse your independence, Krishna will supply you this misguided intelligence. And if you want to use it properly, then he'll give you that. So the bottom, I said bottom line, the, the, the base reason for this is because Krishna wants a loving relationship with his eternal parts and parcels. That's the ultimate goal. 
the preogen. And um, in order to create the stage for that to happen, there has to be independence. And living entities have to give unlimited a variety of choices for them to then come to the, the exact choice that, no, I want to surrender on you, Krishna. Even in the species of life in the material world, 8,400,000 species. So what if he only gave three? You have your choice when you come to the material world. You can be an elephant, a giraffe, or a human. We might complain and say, Krishna, you know, I only got to be an elephant and a giraffe, and now I'm a human. What if there's some happiness in the bird uh, being, I want to fly? So then Krishna gives tens of thousands of bird species. And think, yeah, you try them all out, and then you come back. And you come back, and, yeah, but what about if I had four legs? That's like, okay, <laughs> so all kind of quadrupeds. Yeah, but I want a tail, and I want to jump. And, okay, you'd be a monkey. There are many species of monkeys. You try 8,400,000, now you come back, and Krishna, I don't want any more. <laughs> I just, want, I just want to serve you. I want a tongue that can chant Hare Krishna. I don't want a monkey tongue that just goes, I, want a, I don't want a bird tongue. I don't want a dog tongue that just, uh, I, I want to be able to serve you. So when we get that determination, then uh, Krishna fulfills that desire also. Thank you, Vaikuta Nayaka. Thank you, Good to see you there in Mysore. Thank you, Prabhu, I, I was just going to ask a question. Okay. So I was wondering that, um, you know, we work so hard. I mean, I just think I work very hard, but um, why does, why is it that Maya keeps putting different kinds of problems in front of you at different times? Um, physical problems is one set, but when, uh, mind problems is another set, you know, asking questions or, you know, having doubts and things like that. Uh, why can't the process be so much more simpler? <laughs> well, the, these are, uh, impressions that we've taken into our minds over many lifetimes. And uh, these impressions, they've, they're called sunscars. And then uh, because of my um, interaction with uh, the modes of material nature in various ways, we can't even remember our last life. Actually, we can't even remember this life. Uh, you can't remember even last week what you were doing, what to speak of, you know, when you were a child, 1975, I was uh, shipped off to Chicago after being in the, the temple for a while in San Francisco. The first day I was on Sankirtan, somebody slugged me, and then uh, uh, we both got arrested. For I, I won't go into the details, but then later on I was applying for my uh, global entry uh, up in Niagara Falls in Canada, and then uh, I was at the very end of the process, all my fingerprints, they took a picture of my iris, everything. And then they called me in a room and said, have you ever been arrested? And I couldn't remember, I mean, I knew I'd been arrested many times for, <laughs> for Sankirtan. But I, and, I, and I just said, probably, but I couldn't remember any specific thing. And then they said, uh, you have to be more specific. And then Super Soul made me remember that first incident that where I got slugged in Chicago. And I said, was it in Chicago? And they said, yeah, you got to clear it off your record. It was still on my record. I didn't do anything wrong, but somehow through just some uh, improper clerical work, the court case, which went against the other person, uh, was still on my record. And I had to clear it with the Chicago Police Department. My point in giving this convoluted story is that uh, I realized at that time I couldn't remember what I did when I was 17. And um, 
you know, I, I didn't remember that incident until somebody brought it up. What to speak of a last lifetime, what to speak of 10,000 lifetimes ago. So your mind is like a, it's a, it's a very, um, a, it's like a cloud, actually. It's like a, one of those uh, clouds that uh, takes on information. I'm not exactly sure how they work, but I, I know all of you do. And uh, all these kinds of Im inputs come into the cloud and they stay in there. And then we get in this lifetime and, you know, a little baby comes out. Everyone thinks, oh, it's starting over new. No, no, it's not. As it starts to grow up and the senses manifest, you'll notice that all the propensities, proclivities, they start to come out because they're recorded there in the cloud. So it takes some, um, it takes some time to um, transform those samskaras into bhakti samskaras. We have samskaras or impressions left on our mind because of uh, our previous engagement in all kinds of ill-advised activities. And now that we have proper direction, we're replacing those with uh, bhakti samskaras, devotional samskaras. The best of all of them is the chanting of the holy name. When you absorb yourself in the maha mantra, it's, it starts to transform your brain. Therefore, Lord Chaitanya says, cheto dharpana marjanam. So cheto dharpana marjanam means that that surface, the chitta, the conscious, uh, this subtle cloud that we carry around with us, it's, it gets purified by the process of Sankirtana, and, and you can transform that. You can also, um, as Rupa Goswami describes, there's, when you take to the process of bhakti, you start to, to go under, undergo the process of kleshagni. Agni uh, means to, uh, to kill something, to, uh, to diminish it. So klesha means the miseries. And these miseries are all caused by uh, sinful activities. And that's the impressions that they leave. Uh, Shredder, will you put up Bhagavatam 329.12? Sure, Maharaj. So Rupa Goswami quotes this 329.12 in making the case for the way in which we become purified by the process of uh, taking to devotional service. And um, he says that um, this uh, process of bhakti in which uh, there's no desire for liberation, it's without the desire for liberation, it takes a while to get there, doesn't it? I should just... Um, uh, no, Maharaj, I'm just, going, I'm just bringing it up. Actually, it was, it's a compound. Um, it's a compound verse, so I'm just bringing it up. Yeah. Can, okay, can let's... Yeah, this kind of... Uh, um, this verse, Madguna Shruti Matrena Mai Sarvagohashe Manogatira Vichina Yatha Gangam Basum Budao Lakshanam Bhakti Yoga Sya Nirgunasya Hidaritam Haitukiya Avyavahita Ya Bhakti Purushotame. And the translation is that the manifestation of unadulterated devotional service is exhibited when one's mind is at once attracted to the hearing of the transcendental name and qualities of the Supreme Personality of Godhead who is residing in everyone's heart, just as the water of the Ganges flows naturally down towards the ocean, such devotional ecstasy, uninterrupted by any material condition, flows toward the Supreme Lord. So this is starting with the end in mind. Now the mind is attracted to all kinds of material things, uh, 
well, some people's minds, probably not yours so much, but it, it's noticeable that because of uh, previous connections and impressions on the mind because of uh, the contact with the modes of material nature, it gets attracted to various things. But by the process of devotional service, klishagni, uh, the mind will end up like this. See, Sukeshri? It ends up like this so that the mind it runs after the holy name. That's when you know you're starting to get spiritual health. And then Rupa Goswami quotes from 11, 14, 19. Eleven fourteen nineteen. Eleven fourteen nineteen. 11, 14, 19. Uh, this is the next verse he quotes, in which he says, Itagni sus sambriddharchi karoti damsi basmasa tata mad vishaya bhaktir udavayam namshi krishna shaha. My dear Uddhava, just as a blazing fire turns firewood into ashes, similarly devotional service unto me completely burns to ashes sins committed by my devotees. So uh, the process of devotional service is like a big fire. So when you're in the fire of devotional service, you're burning up all the previous sins. And then, of course, he quotes from 3.33.6 from the Bhagavatam, and you know this verse, everybody knows it, yanamadeha shravananu kirtanad, yet pravanad, yet smaranad, api kuchit, shvadhopi sadyak savaraya kalpate, kutakmanaste bhagavanu darshana. To say nothing of the spiritual advancement of persons who see the Supreme Person face to face, even a person born in a family of dog eaters immediately becomes eligible to perform Vedic sacrifices if he once utters the holy name of the Supreme Personality of Godhead or chants about him, hears about his pastimes, offers him obeisances, or even remembers him. So Rupa Goswami, after that, uh, quotes from the Padma Purana, and he says, uh, this is, Aprarabdha palam papam, kutam bijam palam mukam, krame naiva praliyante vishnu bhakti ratatmanam. He describes how the reason we're suffering is because of these uh, seeds of sinful desire and also their uh, fructification. So he describes that there's three stages of sin due to our contact with the material nature. And one is um, kutam, which means that uh, something's about to become a seed. It's in a very subtle form. It hasn't become a seed yet. And then there's the seed... And then um, there's the palonbukam, which means the fruit comes out. So everything we do in this world, every connection we have, it, it ends up somewhere. And um, it ends up with the fruit, uh, uh, prarabdha karma, that, that we're suffering right now. And then there's aprarabdha karma, which means it's not even manifest yet. So all these things are in a chain that's very complicated. And if you, you're a gardener, you'll notice how um, 
seeds go here, there, and everywhere. You can't stop them. As soon as you put some soil out, then immediately all kinds of seeds just start showing up. Like I'm doing a lot, I'm planting a lot of seeds right now. And I have to, I had to buy pristine soil that's a guarantee that doesn't have any extra contamination in it. I have to be really careful about what I expose it to because just leaving it out, all kinds of seeds get in there. And, and besides the seeds I'm deliberately planting, these other seeds will just pop up because they have an opportunity in a, in a pristine environment to do so. So we're like that, you know, we're like a field, pristine field, but then all these different seeds get in. So there's a lot of weeding and gardening to do. And how do you do it? Bhakti Ratatmanam. If Vishnu Bhakti Ratatmanam, if you perform devotional service, says Rupa Goswami, then uh, you start to kill off all these unwanted seeds and you can uh, cultivate bhakti in that way. He gives more and more explanation about how bhakti is, uh, is, the, is the fire that uh, destroys all the sinful activities and our, our minds and the samskars within the chitta or the consciousness will become purified by the process of bhakti in due course of time. So you have to keep practicing. Maharaj, can I ask a question here? Yes. So, so in Bhagavatam 3.33.6, where we are talking about that a person who is a Malaysia, if he just recites the holy name even once, then he becomes eligible to perform the Vedic sacrifices. So I'm thinking like how when we go out on book distribution, we ask them to chant the Hare Krishna mantra. Um, if you can elaborate a little bit on what does it mean when it says that they immediately become eligible to perform Vedic sacrifices? It's like- okay. I'll read you the purport because this is elaborately explained here. Here in the spiritual potency of chanting, hearing, or remembering the holy name of the Supreme Lord is greatly stressed. Rupa Goswami has discussed the sequence of sinful activities of the conditioned soul. And he has established in Bhuktir Samrita Sindhu that those who engage in devotional service become freed from the reactions of all sinful activities. This is also confirmed in Bhagavad Gita. The Lord says that he takes charge of one who surrenders unto him, and he makes him immune to all reactions to sinful activities. If by chanting the holy name of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, one becomes so swiftly cleared of all reactions to sinful activities, then what is to be said of those persons who see him face to face? Another consideration here is that persons who are purified by the process of chanting and hearing become immediately eligible to perform Vedic sacrifices. Generally, only a person who is born in a family of brahmanas, who has been reformed by the ten kinds of purificatory processes and who is learned in Vedic literature is allowed to perform Vedic sacrifices. But here the word sadhya immediately is used, and Sridhar Swami also remarks that one can immediately become eligible to perform Vedic sacrifices. A person born in a family of the low caste, which is accustomed to eat dogs, is so positioned due to his past sinful activities, but by chanting or hearing once in pureness, once in pureness, or in an offenseless manner, he is immediately relieved of the sinful reaction. Not only is he relieved of the sinful reaction, but he immediately achieves 
the result of all purificatory processes. Taking birth in the family of a Brahmana is certainly due to pious activities in one's past life, but still a child who is born in a family of a Brahmana depends for his further reformation upon initiation into acceptance of the sacred thread and many other reformatory processes. But a person who chants the holy name of the Lord, even if born in a family of chandalas, dog-eaters, does not need reformation. Simply by chanting Hare Krishna, he immediately becomes purified. It becomes as good as the most learned Brahmana. Sridhar Swami especially remarks in this connection, Anina Pujatvam Lakshite, some caste Brahmanas remark that by chanting Hare Krishna, purification begins. Of course, that depends on the individual process of chanting. But this remark of Sridhar Swami's is completely applicable if one chants the holy name of our Lord without offense, for he immediately becomes more than a Brahmana. As Sridhar Swami says, Pujatvam, he immediately becomes as respectable as a most learned Brahmana and can be allowed to perform Vedic sacrifices. If simply by chanting the holy name of the Lord, one becomes sanctified instantly, then what can be said of those persons who see the Supreme Lord face to face and who understand the descent of the Lord as Devahuti understands Kapiladev? Usually initiation depends on the bona fide spiritual master who directs the disciple if he sees that a disciple has become competent and purified by the process of chanting, he offers the sacred thread to the disciple just so that he will be recognized as 100% equal with a Brahmana. This is also confirmed in the Hari Bhakti Vilas by Sri Sanatana Goswami. As a base metal, like bell metal, can be changed into gold by a chemical process, any person can similarly be changed into a Brahmana by Diksha Vidana, the initiation process. It is sometimes remarked that by the chanting process, one begins to purify himself and can take birth in his next life in a Brahmana family and then be reformed. But at this present moment, even those who are born in the best Brahmana families are not reformed, nor is there any certainty that they are actually born of Brahmana fathers. Formerly, the Gurbaran reformatory system was prevalent, but at the present moment, there is no such garbhadhana, or seed-giving ceremony. Under these circumstances, no one knows if a man is factually born of a Brahmana father. Whether one has acquired the qualification of a Brahman depends on the judgment of the bona fide spiritual master. He bestows upon the disciple the position of a Brahmana by his own judgment. When one is accepted as a Brahmana in the sacred thread ceremony under the Pantratric system, then he is dvija, twice born. That is confirmed by Sanatana Goswami. By the process of initiation by the spiritual master, a person is accepted as a Brahmana in his purified state of chanting the holy name of the Lord. He then makes further progress to become a qualified Vaishnav, which means that the Brahminical qualification is already acquired. So twice Prabhupada mentioned here that it depends on the quality of the chanting that is individually decided. Nonetheless, the evidence is, is, uh, is clear, and that is if someone says Hare Krishna, then they get purified. And the example given in the Bhagavatam is of a jam meal, because 
Shukadeva Goswami told about the hellish planets and Prikshit Maharaj out of compassion, wanted to know how people would become freed from such suffering. And to reply to that, Shukadeva Goswami told the story of a Jamil. And we know in the story of a Jamil, of course, he started as a dutiful Brahmin, but then he fell down into really bad habits. But then he chanted the name of his uh, son that just happened to be Narayan, and he became purified, even one chanting. Now, some people ask, how is it that he went on committing sinful activities after he chanted Narayan? Because he still was living a sinful life at that time. And Sridhar Swami and Vishwanath Chakrabarti Thakur says, his chanting was just like that of a snake with no teeth. It, was, it could be biting. It appears that it's biting in the same way. It could appear, appears that you're going on with a materialistic life. But actually, um, the teeth are gone. And uh, by, in course of time, uh, that became apparent in the life of Ajamil, that he became purified by that once chanting of the name of his son in helplessness he called out. It was non-offensive. He wasn't calling to be freed from sins and so forth. So the quality of the chanting is important. And it's also noticeable here that um, the person who's chanting the holy name becomes qualified. It doesn't mean that you immediately put somebody in the position of a Brahmin on the altar. Uh, that, they, you know, they'll start doing Vedic sacrifice right away. The idea is that the purification process has started, uh, or not started, but it's, see, this, this is semantics. This is what Jiva Goswami brings up in the Nectar of Devotion. He says that the purification process, some people say, krame naiva praliyate, it takes place step by step. And some uh, people say, well, that step by step is just like this. If you take a thousand lotus petals and then you uh, thrust a, a long needle through them to make a garland. So technically you can say it's happening step by step, one petal after another. But to the naked eye and uh, for all intents and purposes, it goes through all at once. So at and Iva, step by step, one becomes purified from all these sinful reactions. It's sadhya, it's happening immediately in the, in the, from the perspective of, of how long we've been in the material world. And it happens by the power of the holy name. So we can see practically that people chant Hare Krishna. Sometimes uh, they wallow in the material nature for some time, but then the effect of that chanting will come to bear and they'll be able to, by the power of the purification from the holy name, uh, take to the process of devotional service. Thank you so much, Maharaj. Yes, this Hare Krishna Guru Maharaj. Hare Krishna. Um, I just have a question. Is that okay? Yes, David. This will be our last question because I don't want to keep everybody all morning. I know you have places to go and people to, to meet, right? <laughs> my, my, my question is how, how does the spiritual master evaluate the advancement of the disciple? Well, um, I get to tell that... Uh, you know, Prabhupada, when he was personally evaluating his disciples, that he put a lot of weight on um, how dedicated they were to the process of devotional service. Like, let's just go back to Prabhupada. And he was aspiring for initiation from his guru, Srila Bhaktisiddhanta. He was, uh, at the time, overwhelmed with his uh, life situation because he was working and he had kids, and uh, 
the he expresses this in the uh, the example of when he went to join his spiritual master's yatra, and uh, it was a ten day yatra, but but uh, Prabhupada could only go there for a day. That's all the time he could spare. So he went and joined the end of the yatra, and then there was a choice at that time whether everyone would go to see Sheshishai Vishnu for the darshan or stay and listen to Srila Bhaktisiddhanta in the tent giving a class. And for some people, the Srila Bhaktisiddhanta's classes were hard to listen to because he was an erudite scholar and he'd speak in, with very lofty language. So m most people went off to see the deity. And then uh, a few people stayed to listen to Srila Bhaktisiddhanta and one of them was Abhaya. Uh, who was um, following Srila Bhaktisiddhanta, and he sat there through the whole lecture. And later on, when Prabhupada was there in um, Ahmedabad, not Ahmedabad, in uh, where was the pharmacy? Sorry, in Allahabad. 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 Yeah, in the Prayag pharmacy. So then, he uh, he had he had been recommended by some of the the local devotees. And Srila Bhaktisiddhanta said, oh yes, I, I've marked him. He likes to hear. He listens and does not go away. So that's one instance. You see that the keen mind of Srila Bhaktisiddhanta noticing what's important and noticing how attentive he was to listen. Yeah, you'll notice that. If you're teaching someone, you'll notice how sincere they are to listen and they don't go away. So they're telltale signs that uh, one sees to, uh, to understand how qualified somebody is, that um, they're sincerely engaged in the process of devotional service and they do not go away. So it, it happens in individual cases and the, the, the person who is him or herself tuned into devotional service with absolute conviction and that's their only occupation in life they become very much aware of um, other people's endeavors in devotional service as well. And they're able to see that very clearly. So therefore a teacher should be fully absorbed him or herself in order to lead others and uh, help to elevate them to higher levels. So this is how, and there's obviously, you know, Krishna is there within the heart of every living being and is also uh, giving recommendations from within as well. Can I say one little thing that you... Know? Hey, Vijay, <laughs> look at you out there in Ojai. All right, go ahead. <laughs> Wonderful talk, thank you. You know, Prabhupada gives the example that the first class disciple, he does what the spiritual master wants without being told. Yes. And he, he said he had one disciple that was, that was like that. That was, um, oh, what was his name? His, his servant from Hawaii, what was his name? Shutikirti. The second class, he does it when the spiritual master, but very enthusiastically. Third class, he does it, but kind of begrudgingly. The fourth class, he just doesn't do it. Yeah, so th these are subtleties also. I mean, if somebody's tuned in to devotional service, you know, you could see somebody who's a servitor, they're, they're looking, anticipating what it is that the, the master is looking for, and is uh, three steps ahead and trying to, and that's very noticeable. 
If you're rendering first-class service to somebody, that person starts to notice it right away and then wants to open his or her heart and pour out the contents as much as possible. So that's a, a, an excellent point that Vijay Prabhu was making that by the quality of one's service, uh, the, the guru, the teacher notices that, yeah, this person is open. I know when I went to uh, school, I, I was just so used to uh, attentively hearing. I noticed in the university, other people were not. They'd put their feet up. Uh, they'd you know, be looking out the window or whatever. But I was just trained like that. So when I got into and I, I'd sit in the front row and I like totally listen and it, it startled the teachers because they'd look at me and go like, why are you listening to me so carefully? <laughs> Nobody else does. And I saw that uh, you didn't even have to be smart. You just had to be there. <laughs> and if you showed up and listened very carefully, then uh, teachers became naturally inclined and, and um, they would uh, really pour out their their knowledge as much as possible. So there's an art to uh, service through which you can get all the secrets of the master in, in any realm, what to speak of in the realm of devotional service. It's palpable, it's noticeable. Okay, any last points? you on Facebook. Okay. So this one is from Shingar Rasa Mataji, and she's commenting on the first verse that you um, read in the various kinds of philosophies. So she's saying that I was relating your talk with the current situation of coronavirus. There are so many theories floating in the scientific community, but most of them are a way for the atheistic people to deny the presence of a controller of the universe. <laughs> uh huh. <coughs> Yeah. There are a couple more. Yeah, and people also become frustrated too. I notice people gravitate toward all kinds of ideas about why this uh, pandemic is happening, what's causing it, who's doing it, and so forth. It's a good point that Sringara Russ is making that, that it also in that realm you can notice lots of speculation and uh, lots of confusion and anger who's doing what and when and how and so forth. Yes, Shraddha, another one? There's a question that we have time. Okay. This is from Ajay Das Prabhu. And he says, how does a Vaishnava become a Vaishnava's dog in Kaliuga, as mentioned by Bhakti Vinod Thakur, when at the same time, Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati criticized one who simply engages in temple worship, but does not see to the interests of the mass of people or cannot recognize devotees is called a Kanishta Adhikari. Uh, I couldn't quite understand the parallel between those two points. Yeah. You become a dog of a Vaishnava, it means that um, you recognize that the Vaishnava is um, the best, well, is, is actually loved by Krishna. And then you, you give yourself to that person. Well, observe a dog. Just look what a dog does. Why do you think people like dogs so much? They, um, you know, when, when the master is away for 36 days and, and the master comes home, the dog gets all enlivened and comes running and just goes nuts. Uh, not that we have to go nuts, but 
you know, that kind of attentiveness, that simple attentiveness that, you know, and, and dogs too, once they have a master, they won't go away. The master can say, get out of here. Master can say, I'm not feeding you, but the dog still won't leave. And so this doggedness, and that's actually a phrase to be doggedly attached to something. Where does that come from? It comes from the dog. So we can learn a lot from a dog. We can see how dogs become devoted to their master. And, you know, master can kill the dog and the dog will just say like, hey, you know, whatever you want to do. So there's that mood there that uh, we can emulate in the dog. Please come take Prashada. Haribo. Hey,